Let's get weird. And to the news, how are we doing today, Lindsay? How is New York treating you? Uh, New York is lovely. One of the rare states that the SPAC that we'll be talking about doesn't necessarily have the ability to operate in, but I would love to because I myself am on the market for a piece of real estate to take advantage of the fact that zero interest rates are here, hopefully to stay for at least the millennial demographic as we try to get into home ownership. How about you? Well, I'm, I'm stuck on the irony that Better is a New York-based company, but you're not able to participate. This is a confusing thing. It's like this is a highly regulated industry or something. One of them. One of them. All right. Well, we got Lindsay. We got me. I'm doing fine. We're making it through. Sipo from Oculus, how are you today? What are you doing here? Doing great, guys. Good to catch up. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. So tell us a little bit about you, about your background, about uh, what Ocralis does and kind of your focus on mortgage there. Um, you know, my name is Sipo Samela. I'm currently the head of mortgage strategy here at Ocralis. I uh, spent the first 10 years of my career in fixed income portfolio management and trading technology. So oddly enough, three years ago, I could have told you more about you know, free flow payments than I could have about the borrower experience, but such is life. Uh, transitioned into the technology side of the business and really more focused on the borrower side of consumer lending. Uh, my first startup was a company called Blend, also an exciting name in the news right now, um, as well as my most recent experience the last two years leading mortgage strategy at Oculus. So, you know, I keep saying this word Oculus. It sounds weird. It's spelled weird, but I'll tell you what it actually does. Um, you know, here at Oculus, we are a fintech infrastructure company. We focus on the journey of getting documents well classified, getting data well captured, and then analyzing said data. You know, our goal is to get our customers' documents to 99 plus percent accuracy. Um, and, you know, as you start diving into the Wobbios world of documents, you know, the easiest first question is, well, how do you achieve that high level of accuracy? Um, our platform is a combination of uh, machine-driven workflows as well as humans in the loop. The way that I actually got to meet Ocralis was through my previous job at NBKC, which is one of the larger mortgage lenders, especially in the veteran space and one of the highest rated mortgage lenders in the space. And that was one of the things that I really loved about Ocralis was that human focus with this technology, right? It's almost like giving superhuman powers to a loan officer or to somebody that's kind of reviewing these documents that always, that really resonated with me. And NBKC always kind of had this thing, which as we get into better is a very big juxtaposition, which is always having a human involved. I think better tries to avoid some of that is trying to go for efficiencies, maybe that do not have human loan officers as such a focus. So it's interesting how kind of the the juxtaposition exists there. But to the point of MBKC, and I guess this is just an MBKC commercial now, it was one of the biggest, if not the biggest years for mortgage at MBKC. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think people were scared that it was going to be a bad year. But let's talk a little bit about the macro drivers that got us here. Basically, 0% interest rates. Like what? What is it that made this year so impressive for mortgage and made it such a hockey stick? You know, with the low rate environment, you know, you kind of think through what the, depending on who you ask, the underbelly or just kind of the unintended consequences, and it has resulted in these hockey stick volumes. Um, you know, one of the challenges with calling it a good problem to have is it's still a problem nonetheless. You know, if you're staffed to receive X and, you know, year over year, you're talking about three to four X volume growth, how do you staff for that? You know, you've seen unprecedented um, wage demands on the processor and underwriter side simply because of the necessity to handle 
all of these documents. Um, and you know, that, that whole idea of machine only, you know, you know, I believe that like this industry truly is migrating towards digital efficiency. You know, we are getting there, you know, like many of our other peers in, I don't know, take the insurance and the credit card space. A lot of that work has been automated. And while mortgage is making steps to get there, you know, we kicked off saying it is probably the most highly regulated area of financial services. And for pretty good reason, you know, we're not all that far removed from the credit crisis and, you know, bad word, we don't talk about it, but what the reality is, is there's a lot of red tape in mortgage. Um, and, you know, what we found is, I would say over the last 12 to 15 months, unprecedented amounts of change that have been really, really driven by the pandemic. You know, if you look at the GSCs and what they've been, you know, kind of arm twisted into accepting with remote authorized notifications or, you know, remote signings, e-signings, e-appraisals, like e-everything um, has really just been with who in their right mind 18 months ago thought we would be in a place where you could not close a deal face to face. Well, who also thought that wet signatures should be required in a pandemic of indefinite proportion? Like the fact that people had to, you know, would refinance their homes and go physically to present themselves. I mean, ESIG should have existed. I think that the states and they do it state by state. It's one of those, you know, very fragmented areas of the market where if you were a state and you didn't have ESIG and you quickly adopted it and you look just at the signature platforms itself, like the notarizes of the world, it's, it, obviously was something that was demanded because people were moving the great sort of reshuffling that happened as people moved out. We talked prior to this about, you know, all of us capitalizing on some of the real estate opportunities in our, in our markets. New York is very different with, you know, HOA fees. So it makes it kind of a, a trade off, but space versus the ability to access money. We're also financially in a better place than we were in the financial crisis. So consumers, I mean, for the most part, the mass affluent have done incredibly well during this period of time because they're not spending. They had extra money sort of on the sidelines. And if they were able to pay off their debt, um, now that we have a new administration, if there's certain tax credits and favors that go into, you know, making millennials more, you know, make it more attractive for millennials to buy a home, I think that you'll see you'll see that continue even post-pandemic. As technologists, you know, we've been evangelizing this message of digitization, automation, efficiency for years now. Um, and I don't know, call it somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but, you know, really like on a dime, like the world had to shift towards more tech solutions. And, you know, thankfully, like I think a lot of us have been in positions where we've been able to be the beneficiaries of being in the right place uh, at the right time. Yeah. And when you talk about the efficiencies that in and of itself, right, if you look at better's efficiency, like how much they can do in loan volume versus a, a fully human platform, I think best in class is 7.1, like for the MBA industry, and like they're doing 16. So loans per month, and you mentioned it yourself, like there's a, there's a scarcity of, of loan officers still. So that means that there's still tons of this process that hasn't actually been automated. And also some of it does tie up to the to the government agencies, like if you don't necessarily have the ability to automate verification of income and employment, because there is no rep and warrant relief for that, then you're going to have to do it manually to begin with. You two are you two are too smart for me, so I need you to slow down a little bit and define a little a few of these acronyms. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna be the dumb guy in the room, but things like MBA to me was an actually come even coming from a mortgage bank was a new thing. So the MBA is uh, is a, an organization, right? So the Mortgage Bankers Association. But you know, the reality is, like a lot of the a lot of the data points that Lindsay's pointing out here, um, these tend to be gospelized like across the industry because you know the Mortgage Bankers Association does a great job acting as an advocacy group for the thousands of lenders that are out there. So you know that whole idea of the uniformity of one group being able to go and present things to FHA and go and kind of broadly distribute information. You know, we glean a lot of really cool data out of the data that the MBA collects. It kind of helps inform your product roadmap as well, like where to spend your time. 
Totally. I mean, on the fintech side right now, you know, what we believe to be, look, we can't talk to every single lender on the planet. It's just, you know, not possible. <laughs> but a lot of what we're able to do is combine direct customer feedback or direct prospect feedback and cross-reference it with this broader set of data that we get from the MBA. So definitely very helpful from us on the side of building products. So why now? It, I guess there's a little bit of kind of the conversation we were having about, you know, the the mortgage market itself, at least in Kansas City. It is very easy to sell a house right now and very damn hard to get an offer accepted to buy one. So are we seeing almost a manifestation of that in this SPAC? Is it just the mortgage market is so hot? So why not SPAC it out while, while it's hot kind of a thing? Or why now? So if you look at last year, you know, this activity as far as, you know, movement to the public space for mortgage companies, it's been happening for a little while now. You know, you look at United Wholesale Mortgage, you look at Loan Depot, you look at Quicken, you know, there has been precedent that's been set. And I think now what you're seeing is the investor sediment around that. You know, there's a big migration on the venture capital side, you know, right before Better SPAC, 500 million bucks from SoftBank. You know, I think what used to be a very... Um, challenged market in the sense that people didn't quite know kind of where the chips would fall and can you even put private money into this space. Um, that's changed now into like the nth degree where just seeing the volumes in mortgage, the low interest rate, yeah, the iron couldn't be any hotter right now. And I think in fact, like this is probably a trend that will continue to happen with other non-bank lenders being able to exercise the benefits of a SPAC. You know, better is just one of many, but I think, you know, from a tech perspective, what makes better so unique is their use of this tech first approach and like to the nth degree, you know, automate first, automate first. Um, it's been a really fun company to watch grow. Well, I, I mean, if you just look, you just look at the volume in and of itself, they, they estimate this is roughly $15 trillion market. So it's, it's the largest. And then in terms of volume better did 24 billion in 2019 to 2020 in terms of change in volume. And they've originated since 2016, about 30.9 billion. So it's like 78% of their volume in a year. It's incredible. And then they're aggressively expanding into title and home insurance, which they've written, I think, 7.7 billion last year in terms of their total policies written for the year. And that's up over 855% from their public filing. So you can clearly see that they've they've tapped into the demographic, but they had to pre-build their infrastructure. It wasn't one of those things where if they had decided to go to market during the the mortgage, you know, boom, that they'd been have been as successful. They've been building since 2016. And I thought one of the original things that made this this group interesting to me personally when I met Vishal is that they bought a mortgage bank to begin with. They sort of always had that baked into the product roadmap and versus in retail where we see people thinking like, oh, should I go buy this thing? Should I go buy this to have a to have a um, a bank charter? Because I'll eventually need it. They, that was like originally what they started with. Yeah, I mean, the commitment to tech at Better truly has been a lifestyle choice. You know, like to your point, Lindsay, it wasn't like this adoption of of sorts. Like once things got pretty heavy, um, and I think it's just really exciting to look at the way that they've built tech stacks. Um, you know, to give you an idea, like at Oculus, how we've looked at that has been very similar. Like I mentioned, our original roots were in small business lending, you know, going through and helping, um, you know, large, uh, large lenders that were looking to distribute PPP funding. You know, that was something that very much like there was a huge change. Um, I can tell you just a quick story. There's a company called Cross River Bank down in New Jersey. Uh, Cross River Bank was able to, during PPP, because of their commitment to automation alongside with Oculus, was able to punch well above their weight class and be able to distribute it within the top four of all distribution of PPP funding in the country. Um, and it's massive to think about a one branch, like single location online bank being able to now participate 
with the likes of the Chases, the Wells Fargo's of the world and really rank that highly. But, you know, a lot of that was how quickly can you absorb the volume? You know, you're definitely not going to see it by being on Indeed trying to hire new processors every single day as volumes increase. You know, it really is that commitment to tech. Right. And some of it having been pre-built, like the infrastructure in place versus a lot of the banks that tried to spin something up through consultants in the middle of PPP. They all wanted to be active, but it was the scenario where technology companies that were able to white label their platforms and integrate into banks were very successful. And we saw it not only in in the PPP space, but also like digital account opening and, and things where you needed a physical branch previously, but now you no longer uh, had those branches, so the banks had to move, and the ones that did, to your point, were were in place to do so, capitalized. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting to think about what the go forward strategy is in mortgage. You know, we're in May 2021. What does the rest of this year look like? What does early next year look like? And you know, like there's so many shifts that are happening, like just from like an administration perspective. You know, I think we can all agree that you know we've made some progress with COVID. We're not completely out of the woods, but we're getting there. You know, the next logical place to look will have to be the housing market. You know, we've had a long developing bubble that has been challenging us, you know, looking at public housing and looking at how you fix this market going forward or how you fix that part of the market, you know, the refi boom will sooner or later plateau. These things are circular. It's how the world works. And what will be the next kind of wave of mortgage? And I think it's going to be with new homes, right? You need to find new buyers. You know, Lindsay, you brought up millennials being one target market. You know, what is a new home buyer tax credit do? for this market in 2021, late in the year 2022. Um, and I think it's going to have to be how are mortgage companies going out and finding those uh, finding those buyers. If those bu- those buyers are going to come from a very tech-savvy place, you know, like the millennials, well, you know, it, I think it bodes well for that investment in technology and the non-bank lenders probably leading the pack as opposed to some of their institutional peers. Yeah. Do you think it's because of interest rates? They'll be able to, I mean, competitively, Wells Fargo is one of the best in the country, despite having a, a subpar NPS when it comes to performance. That was nice of you. That was a, that was a good politically correct way to phrase that. That was good. I was, I was wondering how you're going to word that. I like it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if they'll give you a loan at better interest rates, that's where you're going to go. Millennials are or even younger generations as we all are price, you know, sensitive. So that makes the most sense, but you know, how can the non-bank lenders compete when they don't necessarily have charters and they don't have the ability to offer the same types of competitive rates? I think like what Oculus does, you know, take costs out of the system. So there's ways to create efficiencies. And then there's also the time and and speed to market, especially in, you know, an all cash kind of offer market where there's been some interesting new, fintech companies that, that do a bunch of cool, you know, home rent to own and so forth or fractional ownership models. But what's actually, you know, going to work at scale? Yeah, you know, I, I think that the back to that commitment to tech, you know, the MBA saying that the cost of origination being as high as it is, you know, ballparking eight to $9,000 per transaction, you know, companies like Oculus ultimately lower that total cost of ownership. You know, the idea that how many people do you need to staff an origination transaction? You know, if you can start to automate pieces of that, you know, I think the trickle down economics starts to make sense where it just costs less to originate. Um, you know, I think the other part is that if there is truly this cross section between the low rate environment that we're in and could potentially be in for, you know, a couple of quarters to come, if that hits around the same time that new home buyer credits do, I think there's a huge opportunity where, 
you know, are you going to go and wait in line at your brick and mortar bank, or are you going to hop on the internet and, you know, be able to cruise a site and find five rates within a few minutes? Um, but that commitment to tech is going to put those front facing. Yeah, I think it'll be the latter in terms of at least the initial conversation. Like you'll no longer have that conversation with a wealth manager or a banker in a branch. Like you'll go online first, the same way that you do, you know, when you price compare anything about like insurance. Like you'll do that to say like, what do I qualify for? And I think that there's a lot of opacity in the market there, especially because all these fintech companies have abstracted the relationships away from one central utility. Like we're all using different things for our brokerage, for our, you know, 401k, for our IRAs and for our crypto. None of that is interoperable right now. So that's a big gap. Yeah. I mean, that, that overall cost too. I mean, like, you know, to go and start and spin up and become a non-bank lender, the barriers of entry are a lot lower than they've ever been. You know, I don't need to go out and find 10 experienced loan officers and 10 experienced processes or underwriters if I'm committed to a digital kind of or an omni, omni-channel marketing strategy, if I'm committed to a tech-first approach in the back office, you know, I can truly punch above my weight class as opposed to needing that, you know, initial startup that you need to get the ball rolling. So let me, let me jump in and like Charlie Munger this a little bit from the like a Luddite point of view. Looking looking up online, the reason I've been a little quiet was I was doing some Googling. And one of the things that just listening to the two of you talk about efficiencies, it's ironic because the number of people associated with these companies is not small. Right. So like as a as a guidepost, Rocket Mortgage has twenty four thousand employees. And that was in twenty twenty. Better, it looks like is coming up on six thousand. So thinking of this efficiencies thing, thinking of, you know, the doing more with less humans, why are there still almost 6,000 employees at better? Right. And d- does that, as that hockey stick continues to grow, eventually will that employee count be able to come down? You think SIPO or how do you think that work? Will they eventually have 20,000 employees? Like how, how is this going to shake out? And just in terms of headcount? Yeah. You know, I don't see it being a linear scale and like even drawing the comparison to someone like rocket mortgage, who is still thought of as like a, a, tech innovator based on what they were able to do in the past 10 years, you know, I don't think it's going to be a linear growth chart of like, Hey, like eventually to get to certain size, you're going to have to add a one-to-one. Um, I think a bigger question would be like asking what do those 6,000 people do? What you'll find is they work in some very interesting areas like innovation and technology, as opposed to working in traditional channels, like being in the back office as a processor and underwriter. So I think that's the interesting thing is that some of these non-bank lenders or some of these new um, kind of tech first, tech forward mortgage lenders, what is it that they have the people that they have employed doing? Yeah. So it's the the power of one quote unquote Twitter buzzword 10x engineer versus uh, another loan officer kind of a thing is what you're saying. I'm still a little mind blown that there's almost 6,000 people, but I, I understand the narrative and I can I can accept it at this stage. It's, it's, it's interesting though to think about what the future holds for that. We're going to go back into a hybrid environment. So people will invest in having an extra office. Like I have an extra office now because because I know I will be fully remote. I joined a company that is based in another state. I'll go out there as necessary, but I think that people will be able and it'll be more acceptable to work at home. And to, you know, I think that you, if you look at the, the SPAC and some of the documentation that came out, like what are they going to get into next? They're going to look at doing, you know, home improvement loans. They're going to start to get into that market. It was extremely hot back when the mortgage, like pre COVID, when people weren't moving as much, but they were looking to invest. Um, there were some successful companies. It will be interesting to see how, how the stock performs in the public markets because, I mean, lenders have historically not done pretty well. So if you look at, you know, lending clubs, some of the first and on deck, they, they didn't do so well. And then in 
COVID it was a little tighter, but even then mortgage didn't, hasn't performed as well. I just don't think that consumers and uh, retail traders understand it as well. So I'm very curious to see how both they straddle both kind of difficult markets, but it will be certainly something to watch. Their performance has been incredible. You know, we talked about some of the numbers and uh, they're doing well from an EBITDA standpoint. So I'm optimistic for them and um, hopefully they will end up being able to do more in, in New York, but it is one of those just markets. It's just such a bear to get into. The cross-sell opportunities, I mean, as you were kind of saying with the... the Title and home ownership insurance. Thank you. Filling in my gaps in my brain um, is really interesting. But also the other piece of it, all of this information about them to potentially underwrite in an advantageous way, there's a an interesting direction they could go in terms of just the owning the entire life of the entire financial life of a human over time, just, you know, better could be top of wallet, better could be top of house. It could be everything at once. So there is a really bullish case to paint. I think when I pull off my Charlie Munger hat and stop asking the the annoying questions and start being a, you know, start seeing the future in a positive light. I mean, the technology is creating so many opportunity for financial wellness apps and like, how can one of these tech first mortgage lenders find a way to land that customer early on? If people can, you know, if you can get into someone's financial profile as their mortgage lender. I mean, you really do have hooked into so many other decisions that they make over time, you know, especially if you're able to get into younger borrowers and get into them early on in the process. I mean, it's the same thing that the insurance companies have been doing for years, right? You know, they want to be your renter's insurance and they want to be your car insurance and they want to be your homeowners and your flood. And, you know, it really is like the cross sell tentacles are so, so, so broad. It's going to be exciting to watch and it's going to be exciting to watch Oculus grow over the same time frame too. And I know we're coming up on time. So tell us a little bit about kind of what the, the rest of this year holds for Oculus. What are you kind of focused on over there? And you know, the idea is that at Oculus, we're really focused on, you know, continuing to dig deeper into the mortgage document space. You know, we've been very focused on originations for quite a while. Um, being able to go deeper into the post-closing document space, being able to take that entire 500-page mortgage file and to create the ease and efficiency even outside of origination, you know, deeping, digging into the secondary market, you know, what does, um, you know, post-close QC look like, but what does onboarding look like for an investor that's looking to buy pools of loans? You know, we're looking at some of the whole loan trading platforms as partners and being uh, creating a way that you know, you can start to create these efficiencies of as a lender and as I'm selling into the market, how can I double check my work without having to put humans in front of that? But likewise, if you're an investor and you're looking to onboard a thousand whole loans at a time, you know, as opposed to the traditional way of doing it with sampling X percent of those loans, you know, how can you really button up a process using automation? Right. And that makes sense. So much of that documentation is very similar. And if you look at just looking at employment, looking at income, looking at, you know, the bank account data, the ability to, to say we can, we can digitize pay stub for you and create, you know, a process where you not only qualify for this this big transaction that you came in for, but like we're, we're playing two moves ahead because we see it's a holistic picture of your financial health. Oh, Sipa, how do people get a, get in touch with you if they want to learn more and have a conversation with you directly? Yeah, please do. You know, um, our website, www.oculus.com. My email is sipo at oculus.com. That's S-I-P is in Peter, H-O, at oculus.com. Or please broadly contact our sales channel at sales at oculus.com. Thanks for listening to For Fintech's Sake, your somewhat trusted fintech news source. If you want to get a hold of Lindsay or myself, I put contact info in the show notes. 
We'd love to hear from you, tell you about our day jobs, night jobs, all our jobs. And if you like this news stuff, give us one of them ratings that people are always talking about in your favorite podcast app. And to subscribe, go to ForFintechSake.com. Now, gone with your bad self, and we'll be back next week with some more news.